you know, as I understand like a little bit of the, the sociology or, or, or background there with the word Atari, it, it comes from a, a, a board game, I think, that they play in, in that's called Go that they play in Japan, and, and it means on target or, or something like that uh, oh. in, in Japanese. So, Atari! Um. <laughs> <laughs> We're live. Welcome listeners, gamers, non-gamers, PvEers, PvPers, and even NPCs. We don't discriminate. This is New Wave Gaming. I'm Ovox. And I'm Chuck Tomahawk. We're super happy to be here, and we're grateful for you tuning in to listen to our eighth episode. Uh, And, well, before we get started, we'd like to invite you to follow us on our social media. Shoot us an email if you like, if you want to reach out to us directly. Our Facebook is facebook.com forward slash New Wave Gaming Podcast. And our email is ovoxandchuck at gmail.com. That's O-V-O-X-A-N-D-C-H-U-K at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear from you. It's the truth. Am I lying, Chuck? Mm. No, I definitely would, for sure. Feedback is always uh, interesting to look at, for sure. Feedback is interesting to look at. This is true. Uh, any ideas for future episodes, we're open to hear those as well. And just hearing out from the fans and uh, seeing the love, we, we really appreciate that. Uh, depending on what uh, app you listen to or what platform you get your podcasts on, definitely show us some love there if you like the content. Five stars, reviews, likes, however that may manifest, we really appreciate it. And we'll definitely shout you out here on the podcast, even if it's a horrible review. Even if you're tearing us what they call a new one. That's right. Is that what they say, Chuck T, on the streets? (laughs) (laughs) Even if you want to tear us a new one, we uh, will shout you out. As long as it's five stars, as long as it's like a good rating, maybe not a good review, we'll shout you out. (laughs) Yeah, I could use another hole or two, I'm sure. (laughs) God knows I've worn these out. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah, this is a hugely important episode, I think. Um, and of course, you're probably going to see it in the title. You're going to see it in the title. But I think it's fair to say that if you talk to someone out there, you just, just, you know what? Wait until the episode's over, but go out onto the street and ask a random human what the first video game was. And there's a very likely chance that they'll be quick to respond Atari. Hell, they might even say Atari 2600, which is really what we're going to dive into here on this episode. Yeah, it's burnt right into the the, the consciousness out there, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, after some of our yeah, chats, yeah. especially for you, man, especially for you. We're going to talk about a little bit of history. We're going to talk about why everyone remembers this console. We're going to talk about a few of the popular games. The most popular games. And I think Chuck T's going to inject this episode with some of his own nostalgia, experience, love for the console that is the, uh, the old VCS, which was its original name. We'll, we'll soon hear, listen, and discover. Um, yeah. Man, you know, I don't really have any uh, gaming news or anything like that. 
to, to, to bore our listeners with. So, I mean, if you want to jump right into this freaking amazing topic, you know, I'm, all the news I got is I'm sucking at Warzone. <laughs> I'm a little arced out, but I'm still enjoying it. Uh, and what else? You got something on here about Cult of the Lamb in the show notes, man. That made me a little nervous. <laughs> a little nervous before we uh, decided to hit record. Yeah. You want to yeah, explain I, yourself I, uh, there, Tomahawk? I feel like, like, like maybe I, I took a little bit of your Warzone XP and, and put it over on my side. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm coming up in Warzone, so, so watch out. But the- <laughs> He's going to come down off the roofs of, of, uh, of Rebirth Resurgence and just knock you out. That's right. I got this. I got a 3080 Ti over here, just humming like. Uh, oh, yeah. you do? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know you went that top shelf, man. That's like that's above <laughs> top shelf, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, man. Okay, I, I'm, yeah. I'm. I mean, it's playing a video right now. I think for itself, possibly. It's, uh... <laughs> Just for the fun. <laughs> <laughs> I got it's like just six. on the side playing Warzone yeah. while you're podcasting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just gonna play yeah. this for the hell. Yeah, yeah it's um, like hey, that last session of Warzone, uh, everyone, Chuck Tomahawk uh, took us, you know, carried the squad through for the win. Got we got Straight the blue ribbon here. across the screen. Um, mm, that UGM. <laughs> oh, is that what uh, you're using? Light machine gun is is it's a melter. Like like I, I didn't want to like let the cat out of the bag too soon, but like uh in I keep in the lobby, I keep getting people like they're just like, What what was that? Like, you know, it's like they'll kinda get a couple shots you mean in from on the, me. From the death audio? The death thing? The death chat. The death chat, yeah. Like I'm having these experiences like where people are shooting at me first and I'm having to get lined up on them, but I'm still getting them. And then, boy, that makes them mad. Like, yeah. <laughs> you'll get the, you know, you'll hear the little ping Eugene. from the kill and then you'll just hear a guy come through the mic going, what? <laughs> yeah, that was it. You know, and they're like, what gun is that? And you're like, yeah, it's the UGM. Can I hit that little button where it turns it sideways so you can look at it? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, right after, yeah. Just so they can see it in the replay, in the kill cam. <laughs> yeah, but um, but no, I just, we, it seemed like we could let Warzone rest for a little bit there and didn't play a ton. Still still been arcing it up and a little bit of forest on the weekend. So um, I really like yeah. the forest. There's something so satisfying about just nailing the zombie cannibal dudes with the with the crossbow and the compound bow. It's so much fun. It is a fun game and, and we've had fun doing it. I like the way we're doing it too. Like, like we're, it's not something we do every day, but we kind of, you know, when we have extra time, we've gotten on there and, and continued that saga. So, uh, yeah, so yeah, fun. that's been fun. And, and, uh, I, um, yeah, I did catch up a couple little bit of gaming news. I wanted to throw out there for folks that, that, uh, that popped up on my radar. There was a game called cult of the lamb, that I thought uh, getting to be a cult leader and uh, you know taking on other cults like it's a, it's a pretty indie game. I don't think this is going to be the next Warzone or anything like that. But uh, or the next Far Cry. It reminds me of Far Cry Five when I read like when you mentioned that it was like you could yeah. be a cult leader or something. And and I want to say it's got like a little tongue in cheek type thing. Like like we're 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 talking about you know funny looking cartoon characters here rather than you know scary. Ah, I see. World. Yeah, so so it's it's a little more uh, more that kind of thing. And uh, saw something about a game called Rumbleverse that uh, supposedly is a cross between 
a wrestling game in Fortnite. Uh, so that that should be interesting. Uh, that sounds <laughs> like the DNA for a successful game right there. Because Fortnite, you know, that speaks for itself. And then mm. uh, wrestling, I don't know, there might be something there. There was a, a coin-op wrestling game that I loved as a kid that I, I, I want to say was called Pro Wrestling, but I can't swear to that. It was at our local arcade. And, and uh, yeah, there's something about that cartoon wrestling. In, in this particular game I'm talking about, you could get a chair and, like, beat the guy over the head. And, you know, <laughs> on all a coin-op? Yeah, on the stuff you could see, you know, from, uh, like, on the – Used to Saturday morning had a, had a lot of wrestling, uh, you know, as a kid with the cartoons. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, I'm excited to see that one. And uh, you know, I, I threw this one in there just because it, it kind of relates to our topic today. But uh, I saw there's a Pac-Man World Repack is is coming out, and uh, yeah, that that uh, you know just kind of stuck out to me as like, wow, that that game has lasted so long. And, and uh, Pac-Man, I thought it, yeah, maybe legendary. if we. Uh, if we get back to it here in a bit, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to maybe examine like why is that so popular? But um, well, it is a good you know. segue. It is a good segue, and you know, we've welcomed our awesome listeners. We've told them what they can expect in this important episode, and it's definitely one that they're not going to want to miss. You're not going to want to miss this episode, fellow gamers, non-gamers. But it is a good segue, and you mentioned coin up. Um, What's up with that? What's coin op? Chuck T, lay it on us. What's your best understanding of, quote unquote, the coin op uh, division of gaming or sector? Yeah. I, you know, I see this journey of sorts like where you had like engineers like, that were creating games and kind of doing some things for themselves. And, you know, then then you, you had sort of a, a development of like a, a, a machine where that housed a TV screen, a, an ability to have coins go through it and, and would allow you to play this game. And, and I think they put some things in the games like time limits and things that, that sort of kept that ball rolling. So somebody wouldn't just, you know, man the game up and be on there all day. And, and it, it kind of was a monetizing of this technology in, in, in my opinion. Um, yeah, you know, I, and I think a lot of that ship had sailed before I was born and, and, you know, obviously I've done a little research and, and going back into it and, and that kind of thing, but where it manifested itself for me was a place called Charlie's in, in our little hometown. And, and, uh, I love it. you know, yeah, we would go to Charlie's and, and it had a, a grill in there that made burgers and stuff. And, uh, and my parents would drop me off there with a roll of quarters and, and you would spend the day there. And, uh, you know, a lot oh, of uh, these so titles, much fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so that, that planted that seed, you know, like, I think like even that, I don't want to, I don't want to stop you real quick, Chuck, but just out of curiosity, how many arcade, um, boxes or games effectively were in Charlie's? Was it just what couple, two or three? I'm going to say around, around 15 Damn. or so. So Charlie's had, Charlie's had a proper arcade room then they had like a separate was it like a restaurant with its own kind of like separate room to the side where you could kind of like walk in Mm -hmm. and they were just lined with arcade boxes kind of a scene 
it, 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 it went through two locations in its existence. And in the first one, which is the one that I went to as a kid, had about a 10 by 15 room, I would say, that, that was completely the, the sides were lined with games. And there were probably two... <laughs> To um, yeah, I can almost take you around the room, uh, like like just from my memories. Like like uh, Tempest was kind of on the left when you came in. Uh, Frogger was next. Uh, there was a pinball machine, I think, beside Frogger. Then you had. Um, it gets a little fuzzy from there. I know Dragon's Lair was in there at some point, which is a later release. Like like it was sort of the fancy game that cost fifty cents. Like eventually, uh, I want to say Defender w- was in the same arcade. You had Donkey Kong. Man. Um, yeah, you, you had all the classics uh, were, were certainly there. And so, it, so just uh, tying it in full circle, coin ops are arcade games, the big box arcade games. Right. I mean, right. and you can yeah. still see these today. They're, they're few and far between, but like I know if I go up to La, uh, up to La Paz, you know, and I go hit up the Soriana or Chedrawi, they still got that uh, video game section there, you know, with, a, with some arcade games, uh, yeah. with some box arcade games. But, you know, you're just... A couple you claw know, machines or something. Yeah, there's like days. two, three, maybe four kids in there, you know, versus yeah. like back even, you know, even I got to experience this. Um, there was a time where going to the mall was really going to the arcade. You know, that's like all we were really like food court arcade. Wow. Food court oh arcade. And at the mall, they would have full on like floors or sections that were just gigantic rooms of coin up. Just these yes. ar- these arcade games, man. And it was always a thing like, well, you know what? I got this roll of quarters. So I'm going to you know what? I'm going to use half of it to play these 25 cent games. I'm sure they were a lot cheaper. I, I'm sure they were less uh, you know, I'm sure it was not 25 cents, but much less pre- probably in the 70s and 80s. But when I experienced the arcade thing, which was pretty much right there towards the end, um, you know, you, uh, unless you were like balling, you know, or you had rich parents or something, you'd go in and you'd you'd be you'd be allocating those quarters very cautiously. You know, you want to put the majority <laughs> of those quarters into 25 cent arcade games and just have uh, long hori- long time horizon fun. And then once you were starting to run low on quarters or you knew mom and dad were coming to pick you up soon, you'd go and spend the rest of them in those like $1 games or those 50 cent games or 75 cent yeah. games. It took two, three, four quarters. And those were like the, you know, that was like the, the dessert. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. What life lessons. Yeah. We had to learn like, like budgeting that out. Cause who wants to be that kid that's like having to watch everyone else like, like, you know, toward if you've let your quarters go too fast, and yeah, it, yeah, I, I agree. Like, like for us, that that game was the Dragon's Lair. It was fifty cents, and and you know, it ate those quarters up quick, boy. <laughs> and like, you were gone, and 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 you also had to eat while you were there on on this money. You know, yeah, that, that I had. and I would yeah. say a burger was probably like seventy five cents or something. So it wasn't anything crazy, but no, but um, it's budgeted funds, man. You gotta be careful. Mom yeah, ain't coming back yeah. until one two clock in the afternoon <laughs> and i have to admit like i do love video games like here we said on a video game podcast but i also love cheeseburgers as well. <laughs> <laughs> especially as a kid chocolate milkshakes and yeah so man so, yeah, it, it, it was, was kinda, a tight uh, race yeah. great memories great memories but this isn't yeah. this isn't a uh coin op arcade episode i'm sure we will have to go back and 
and have a dedicated episode to the box style arcade games. Matter of fact, not to go down the rabbit hole deeper and uh, digress, but I was just talking to my dad this morning. We were I was telling him we were about to record, and he's like, yeah. you know what? And I knew this, but I had forgotten that he had told me about it. He's like, matter of fact, I used to work back in, uh, I think he said in El Cajon in California, uh-huh. one, one of those cities, um, but he used to work at Cinematronic, which was the company uh-huh. that made Space War, which was... You know, I don't know if it was one of the first, but uh, Cinematronic released the Space War coin box arcade, you know, just a big box with a screen in it. Uh, Back in 1977, uh, Cinematronic released that, and he used to work there with them. No kidding. Yeah, man. <laughs> at the at the, at the place Cinematronic, that where they manufactured <laughs> really? the arcade systems for that game. No kidding. Yeah, man. <laughs> so, so, so we definitely got to have an episode on coin op. But this is the cool thing is that, and um, and I, I kind of stole your your momentum there, but you can take it off from here. But didn't wasn't this kind of like the thing is that these game developers and engineers were like, yo, how do we take it out of these establishments, which is very commercial, you know, where where the where the manufacturers of the games, the developers of the games, they'll sell so many thousands of units to so many restaurants or um, establishments where they do arcade games, coin ops, and they say, hey, "How do we take this and get it into the household?" Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely, you know, I agree. This could be a, its own episode, and we don't want to, you know, kind of bore our listeners with with the, you know, too much background of this. But what I want to to just kind of paint this frame, where you had something that cost like a quarter to play, and 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 you'd been exposed to it that you liked it, and then once you were it was marketed to you that you can have this at home. Like, and, and, you know, yeah, this is going to cost a few hundred dollars, which really broke the bank back then. Like, like, I mean, you're, you're talking, you know, in today's dollars, like a eight, 900 bucks that you're paying for this console, but you're, you've got free video games from now on, you, you know, you're playing all you want, um, yep. at home. And, uh, you know, the boxes and the advertisement certainly made it out that like it was going to be just as good as the arcade. And, and the reality was it was maybe a, a little different than that. But but yeah, I just want our listeners to understand that we got introduced to these things at the arcade, kind of saw the potential. And then suddenly, you know, these guys are, are you know, I think continually looking for ways to monetize this thing and, and make it, uh, you know, into the industry that it that it can become. So, um, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's sort of the framework. And then all of a sudden you see a commercial that says, you know, we've got a hundred games, including that one, that Frogger game that you love at the arcade that you've spent, you know, a good hundred bucks and quarters on already, you know, yeah, you're, yeah. you know, it's coming home and, and, uh, yeah, that's exciting. So exactly. And f- from what I researched and I had, I had to really like put my head into the books with this one back. Matter of fact. I felt like I wasn't even prepared because I just wasn't around when this stuff was happening. And you, you had hands-on experience. So in researching this, looks like we got this feller, Bushnell. Mm-hmm. Nolan Bushnell, I think his name was, mm-hmm. is. Um, uh, and him and his, I think he had teammates, but he really spearheaded the deal. He goes and forms Atari, Inc., I think it was, incorporated. He forms Atari in 1972. And 
you know, I think by that time we had this coin operated thing going, <clears throat> but I think Nolan would, he's like, Hey, we got to get this, uh, going in the home. And they created a pong, I believe on what they called Atari pong and you could take it home. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I gosh, I don't know if it was the very first console. I really don't. Uh, but I know that they released that, but it only had one game on it. It was Pong. So mm-hmm. I think that right there is a huge leap in itself, just that accomplishment of taking what was exclusive to arcades and restaurants and pizzerias and et cetera and all that, and now creating a device that you could take home and plug into your TV and play Pong. And I think that happened right there in that 1972 range. I'm not 100% sure. No, it was in 1975, I think. It says, the completion along with other missteps by Atari... Le- okay, no, that's different. Uh, da, da, da. By 1975, Atari had released a Pong home console competing against Magnavox. That's right. I think Magnavox had the very first home console. So by 1974, they had... Odyssey. Yes, Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Did you ever get? Your, do you ever see one of those? Uh, actually, one of my friends had one, and and I actually had a friend that had. I, I don't necessarily remember it being branded by Atari, but he definitely had a system that only played Pong. And you know, it I remember must have going been over. Yeah, it had to be. And and I remember going over to his house and 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 you know getting getting some Pong on. <laughs> you know, did, when thing. you got the Atari, did you go over and tell him that it, uh, it's not a Magnavox, it's a Magna Suck? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. What do I know? <laughs> like, man, Magnavox, you gotta check out this Atari, baby. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, welcome to the upper middle class. <laughs> <laughs> VCS tattooed across your forearm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Atari yeah, so, shirt. No, no, not 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 exactly like that. But um, but yeah, it it definitely was a step up in this world, uh, for sure. Yeah. So I um I think what happened was they had some success with that thing, and but there were limitations, you know, engineering limitations. I think what they they called it a logic system where things were very limited in terms of what kind of memory uh, and and. Rapid access, you know, RAM, ROM, all those types of technological nuances that we're certainly not experts in, you know, FYI listeners, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> obviously. But I think, I think what they were looking at with this was is like, yo, we we're making good money here, but what if we create a home console where we sell the console cheap and can continue to make revenue with with individual games that can be placed into the system so that it's not just one game on the console. I could have, mm-hmm. I could have probably explained that in a much better fashion, but I think, you know what I'm saying? Like they had consoles that would only have one game on them, like the Pong, the Atari Pong home console. They said, no, we let's create something where we can continue to sell games, enabling our creative developers to continue to program new games and then they don't have to just buy a new console every time a game comes out. They can replace each cart. They can put in ROM cartridges with its own programming games on there. Mm-hmm. That right there, you got. I mean, you got the console factor. Hey, we're here's this new thing called a console where you can play it on screen at home. And then their their forward thinking was let's create a console 
with cartridges, which is what became the Atari VCS, later rebranded Atari 2600. Was that, yeah. was that, did that mean anything for you? What was that? Uh, can you say anything to that? Like that particular aspect, like what cartridges? Like, like the, the perspective as a kid, I, I, I don't, you know, necessarily remember that. Like, like I think it was so new that, you know, just whatever it showed that needed doing, you know, we just kind of took it at face value. Kind of like when you hand a baby an iPhone today, <laughs> you know, they just start scrolling. It seems like, you know, <laughs> like, like, or not necessarily a baby, but, a, you know, a toddler, like someone. It's amazing to me how much youngsters like take to technology. So I don't know that it registered like that, but I, I see. Do you mean like, uh, sorry for, for jumping in on you, mm-hmm. but like, do you mean in that in a way that like it didn't phase you or that everything that they were doing was mind blowing. And that particular aspect wasn't any more mind blowing than the fact that there was a console in the first place. Like, was it just like, I think, yeah, you know? the, the, the second, but, but, you know, do recognize that, that there were eight track tapes and things like that, that, that resembled this. And I, I think honestly, like <clears throat> I see them like, as they're trying to figure out how to mass produce this and mass market this, they're, they're almost like trying to use a model of, 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 um, like say a record player, like like the the consoles, like a record player, and they want you to be buying records from now on. Okay, you know, and that's not exactly how it went. Like like you know, I can take a record player from fifty years ago and use it today, but consoles like get upgraded almost every six months, at least every two three years, we get a new console, and I think they wanted to make one Atari and and us be using it still today possibly you know just with new cartridges and and yeah it wasn't how that exactly went for him and it, it was such a new thing like monetizing this it, it just it, it didn't the path wasn't really clear um yeah i feel like there were no clear paths for anyone at this time i mean this no. was a brand new industry it was brand no. new in terms of uh in all of its sectors, it seems like, based off what I've read, I mean, it's brand new industry with developers and the creators and the programmers. They're like, you know, this was all fascinating stuff for them. I think they were just like, you know, computer tech was, heck, I think some of them uh, thought that they, they had even missed the bus already. But it was really mm-hmm. just in its beginning, you know? <laughs> um, you know, yeah. Uh, it, it- Go ahead, sorry. I, I think you you know we know we have hindsight now that we know that this continues today and I mean here we are making a podcast about it but at the time it could have just been like say the hula hoop or or the frisbee or, or things that were popular and you know sold a few but it's not exactly well yeah know, a I billion mean, dollar industry <laughs> well um, and, and as you mentioned they had a a uh, they had ups and downs you know, mm-hmm. uh, Atari, but, uh, going back again, going back to the early, <clears throat> early mid seventies. So they, they released the pong deal, the home pong system, which just had one game on it. I think it had like, you know, one paddle or whatever, you know, something like that. And it was a very small, it looked like a very small device. They come up with the cartridge thing. They want to do that. I think, uh, no, uh, Nolan Bushnell was like, like, we need to do this. But I don't think they had the funds in order. Like they wanted to release it, I think, much earlier than they ended up doing. They ended up releasing the Atari 2600 in 1977. They wanted to do it much way before that. They're having issues. They didn't have the funds. So 
uh, as I learned from you, Chuck, they were purchased. They were purchased mm-hmm. by Warner Communications, thereby giving them that additional funds to, to get the development completed, the, the creation of the 2600, and they got it out. But they were beaten. They were beaten by Fairchild Channel F. I don't remember what year the Channel F came out, but that, technically speaking, was the very first um, con- uh, cartridge cons- uh, cartridge exchangeable console home game system, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I do feel like you could almost say this is the moment where things sold out, like like for the dollar in some ways. Like, you know, I'm glad it did because it would have never made it to East Tennessee, you know, had they not, you know. I don't think it would have made it at all. He needed the money. Yeah. It looks like yeah. he needed that money to be able to launch the Atari 2600. And, and uh, they... They were purchased by Warner Communications in 76, and in 77, Atari VCS was released. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you, you know, from that point on, you kind of see the hand of, of, of big business sort of, you know, making critical big business type decisions that, uh, you know, support the shareholders and things like that, that, uh, you know, maybe aren't always for the best in, in quality, uh, but but it did get it out there and uh, and and you know laid a frame framework that we're still working with. So yeah yeah, let's get technical real quick. I want to read a uh, a description, something more profesh from RetroGamesCollector.com. It's a great article here. It's officially it was called the Atari CX twenty six hundred Heavy Sixer was its nickname. They called it the Heavy Sixer. <laughs> I love that. Chuck, real quick, before I continue reading this, do you kind of want to describe its sexiness? Well, I I got two words for you. Wood grain. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, once again, like in episode one, we're coming back with that that wood grain. grain. It's, It's just dripping. It's matching up with that floor model TV you got going on there. and And yeah, it's got that drip. And, you know, one of the interesting things I found is we looked back at this, like all those switches, like I think they call this one the six because of the six switches possibly, and you've got a four-switch model. I don't ever remember messing with those switches that much. Like, And as I went back and looked at them, you can change the difficulty of the game with those switches. Mm-hmm. I know, isn't and, that uh, nuts? I feel like my evil sister might have came in and switched that switch. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, I saw, for example, in Adventure, it it, it takes the, the the mazes from invisible mazes to to non invisible mazes, and I only remember invisible mazes. Like, so. dang, <laughs> yeah, Man. yeah. So let's see here. I want to read off the specs for all of the the techies that will like those specs. But oh, where are you here? Oh, having a meltdown. Quality podcasting right here, everyone. <laughs> yeah, so the uh, the television. Inte- I got that stuck in my head from the first episode. The Atari Twenty Six Hundred, technically speaking, is a second generation console, proving that this certainly was not the first console, even though it's pretty much the first console that everyone remembers and thinks about. It's a CPU based game logic. AI simulation, ROM cartridges, multi-screen play fields, simple sprites, color graphics, 
one to four bits, up to three audio channels. This is very generalized. You know, we'll come to see that there were multiple variations of the Atari 2600. And just in contrast, the first generation consoles were discrete transistor-based digital game logic, meaning they didn't have CPU. Games were baked in, right? So you have, like, we're going back to the Pong home console. Pong was the only game in that thing. That was it. Mm -hmm. Basic dots, lines, or blocks. Mostly black and white, single channel or no audio. So that's more, that's not, that's more of a comparison with the first generation than it is a description of the specs of the 2600. I'm going to bring those up, but I, w I thought it was cool to kind of like, to distinguish the huge leap from first generation to second generation with these cartridges. That's really the main thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's a huge selling point that, you know, there's already hundreds of games available and we're going to make more. And, you know, here's the outlet to do that. And, you know, I, I think, uh, that that was a brilliant move to go with the cartridges and and allowed for the expansion and growth of it rather than you know yeah. like how many games of pong can you play? Roger <laughs> <laughs> <Probably> that. <laughs> Me? One. Yeah. yeah. yeah nowadays, yeah, it's one. Like, uh, missed it. Okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's fourteen to fifteen. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So, so um, real quick, let me uh, activate a, a Google cheat code here. I'm going to read from a good old Wikipedia. Har the hardware. We've got the, uh, the Atari 2600's CPU is the MOS Technology 6507, a version of the 6502, running at 1.19 megahertz in the 2600. That's, that's the console we're talking about. Though their internal silicon was identical, the 6507 was cheaper than the 6502 because it's the chips we're talking about because its package included fewer memory address pins, 13 instead of 16. Now, if we go back to our Intellivision episode, we kind of touched on these things. We talked about mm -hmm. the MOS chip. Mm -hmm. And not to, to rehash on all that, but the MOS chip was a huge advancement for the personal computers and for which is what the Intellivision was, technically speaking, not a console. But mm -hmm. it was the, as for purposes of hardware, that chip really did bring something here to the Atari as well. And I think we should touch on that, maybe not now, but uh, at some point. Sorry for all the background noise, folks. There's like a biker gang going by. Can you hear that? Sweet. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> what, was the name of that, what was the name of that biker series? Uh, uh, Sons of Sons of Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy are rolling by down here. Los hijos de la anarquía passing by. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. getting back at it. Um, what is it? In what was I saying? Shoot, I lost my uh, train of thought here. We're um, talking about the Moss chips. Yeah, um, those chips were exact. Thank you, Chuck. Those chips were huge. Um, yeah. So. Uh, the console has 128 bytes of RAM. Uh, call stack and st and the state of the game in what? I don't know. Anyways, it has 128 bytes of RAM, so that's important to know. Uh, the top bezel of the console originally had six switches. Power, TV type selection, which is the color in black and white, game selection, player difficulty, and game reset. The difficulty switches were moved to the back of the bezel in later versions of the console, 
The back bezel also included the controller ports, TV output, and power input. Controllers were on the back. What's up with that? See, yeah. The, Did that ever piss you off? <laughs> to the max. Like, like <laughs> What I, in the I, hell? I, I do like it's important to point out that they called that controller the joystick. I think like it it uh, it it definitely has a lot of joy, but the joy ends on the fact that it's got about a two foot cord on it. So, you know where where do you put this thing? Like, you know, the living room at that time for most people, I think, you know, had a couch and a chair and that kind of thing, and this floor model TV. So, this thing either had to sit on top of the TV or down in the floor in front of it. It, it you know, so so the ergonomics of that were were incredibly painful. Like you had to be pretty much laying on your stomach down there in front of the the yeah. controller. I mean, like wireless was never heard of at this point. Like that's a like a pipe dream. <laughs> no, and, <laughs> you'll and, ever see that. And this is you know. this is like right in the middle of the of the uh, time when our parents would always be telling us, "Don't sit that close to the television. It's gonna rot your eyes out." Absolutely, yeah. You remember yeah. hearing that as a kid? Dude, I had a special problem with that, that I was born with like jacked up vision, and so I always sat right in front of the TV. I couldn't see it from anywhere else. Like That's how they figured out I needed glasses. Like You can't just, mm-hmm. you know, as a one-year-old, you can't look at your parents and say, like, hey, I think My I vision's glasses. fucked up. I need glasses. Oh, he needs glasses. Like, why is he sitting right in front of the TV? <laughs> For the last three years, but, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, that that kind of came out that way, and and yeah, that was kind of like a, I don't know. I think they thought it was going to melt your brain or something, like give you cancer possibly in the brain. But um, something like yeah, that. they didn't want you up there around the TV, and, and yeah, it. You know, I think they recognized that it was going to. I think that's where the wood grain comes from. Is that that it's going to be connected to this TV? But that's that's kind of it, and the TV was kind of designed to hook an antenna up back there, but it wasn't ready for this, you know, situation at all. Like you had to kind of improvise and, and, and get that hooked up for yourself. And yeah, that's where it went down. You know, you had your buddy over and you both get right down there in front of the TV. And, yeah, you know, I think like right at that same thought process, like your parents, I, I think they just saw trouble right away. Like my dad was like, you kids need to get outside. Like, what are you doing over there? <laughs> oh man. See, this is what I meant earlier by, it was just such a new thing for everyone. It was a new thing for programmers. They were learning what the capabilities were of this new computing world. It was a new thing for marketers because it was a new industry and they had to figure out how to market it. It was a new thing for legal teams to figure out licensing and how do we mm. how do we pay people for this? What where do they deserve credit or not deserve credit? Which was a huge thing we can touch on here about Activision. Mm-hmm. Remember that Activision. Um, it was a new thing for the kids that were like, "What? I can play video games at home? This is all you know." It it, it was the beginning of what we now know today as the gaming world, which is a multi what billion. <laughs> is it million? Yeah. I don't know. Like, like it's, it's a huge deal now, billions, and it yeah. was also a new thing for parents because all of a it sudden, was. all of a sudden, they're you know their kids. I was one of them. Uh, you know, we were not we weren't outside building tree forts anymore. 
No. <laughs> and, and yeah, I, I, I think it's probably important too, to realize that they had probably, their generation had really just gotten comfortable with the TV. I, I remember, you know, say my, my, my grandfather thinking the TV was going to rot our brains out. The devil. You know, and, and that, you know, and, and you saw those commercials that said like tonight, don't just watch TV. Play TV. <laughs> it's like, yes, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about, man. How do you re- yes. how do you respond to that as a little kid when you see that for the first time back then? Well, I think uh, you know maybe your parents had a second when they thought, oh, this is what my dad was worried about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, and uh, yeah, my dad would call me a house cat. He was like, yeah, you're like a little house cat in here. No, that's like I'd have the air conditioner Jeez. jacked up and I'd have a little, you know, I'd have it so cold in the house that I had like an Afghan or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a hundred outside. Just dad's coming in from, man. yeah, dad's getting home from work. You know, he's like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it was new for everyone for sure. And, you know, just figuring out how it fit into our lives and, and you know, where this, um, yeah. Yeah, well, where, real, where, where where this went. Yeah, but, well, before we keep going, because we're definitely going to cover a lot more of those nuances and that fun uh, cultural stuff. Uh, I'm going to bore everyone with the tech, the specs and the factoids for another second. So, also known as the Atari VCS, prior to November 1982. It was in 1982 that it was branded the 2600, where that kind of became the name, you know. Um, and that was due to one of the variations. Uh, I think there's like seven, there might be more variations. Um, I, I'm tempted to think Chuck that maybe you didn't have the original variation. Maybe you had one of the newer ones, but when it originally released in 1977, they released the, the heavy sixer, which is the main classic. After that in 78, they released the light sixer, which is, well, you know, it's a little bit lighter. It's thinner. It's still got the black. It's got the wood grain. Six switches in the front. Moving uh, a little bit down the road, in 1980, they released the Atari CX2600-A, uh, which looks like it was the last variant of the Woodies that had the wood grain. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be doing that anymore after that. In 1982, they released the Atari 2600 all-black Darth Vader. <laughs> which is pretty dope looking, man. At this point, they had taken the two switches, two of the six switches on the front and put them on the back. So there were only four switches now on the Atari. And it was this version's pretty badass, man, I gotta say. I'm looking at a picture of it right now. In 1986, they went and released the Junior. Cheap and cheerful, it says. It's got a rainbow going across the front. Looks pretty cool. And then uh, in 1986, they released a new Junior, it looks like. Was it the same year? Maybe a new variation of it. And then the Junior Black, which was released, it looks like, only in Ireland. Interesting. Manufactured yeah. in Ireland. So there's a bunch of variations of this thing. Um, it was originally released, again, in September of 1977 in North America, and 1978 in Europe. Uh, and it wasn't released in France until 1982? No way. Interesting. Its total lifespan was from 1977 to 1992. The introductory price was $189.95. This is according to the Wikipedia page. I'm using a cheat code here. 
So let's just call it 190 bucks, which is equivalent to 850 bucks in 2021 money. So yeah, Chuck, you're you were right on the money there, man. 850 bucks, dude, dude. That's a lot of money, man. Just it, and and you know that's why I say it's important to understand that that the frame and, and context here, where we were spending you know 10 bucks a a day at the arcade. So you know this. You know, you you didn't point out to your parents that hey, I'm still going to want to go to the arcade even though I've got this at home. But mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you yeah. did sell it like you know pretty much within you know a year of of let's say if I go to the, the arcade every weekend and spend ten bucks, um, you know this thing's going to pay for itself. And yeah, and I think it did for a lot of people, man. I mean, even though it was a rocky road, which we can kind of define a little bit better here in a moment, uh, you know they. What they went until January first of nineteen ninety two, so here my brother was born. Um, they sold thirty million units as of two thousand four. Wow. The media was the ROM cartridge. CPU again was the eight bit MOS Tech, MOS Technology sixty five oh seven chip at one point nineteen megahertz, hundred twenty eight bytes RAM memory. The graphics was the they called it the TIA or Television Interface Adapter. Controller input, joystick, paddles, driving, keypad, trackball. Trackball's pretty dope. I like that trackball. Yeah. Best-selling games, Pac-Man, 8 million as of 1990. The predecessor was the Atari Home Pong, and the successor was the Atari 5200. That Home Pong thing was that one we were talking about earlier that only had the one game on it. Tiny little device. Yeah, and I guess they didn't really start calling this one the twenty six hundred till the fifty two hundred come out, right? Like, like they, they sort um, of- you you might be hitting the nail on the head there. Uh, that 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 may have been really, because the the twenty six hundred continued to be released even though other vari- other other um, successors came out. So let me check check to you real quick. What when the Atari fifty two hundred came out? It came out. In 1982, and that was when they rebranded. Yes, you are 100% correct, my friend. Thank goodness for cheat codes. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, this is completely off topic yet related. <laughs> Just checking information and making sure we're doing our best to give you guys accurate info. Um, in our last episode, when we were talking about John Romero and that he might be making a new game, I mistakenly mentioned, I think, that back in the day he had created a company called uh, IP. But it wasn't IP, it was ID. So uh-huh. I made a brain fart there. Just wanted to mention that real quick while I remember it. Apologies for that mistake there. But anyways, moving okay, on. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, that definitely. I mean, hey, you know. I, I'm not sure I saw that. Yeah. Um, so that those are, the, uh, those are the, the tech specs and factoids of this little device here. They had a bunch of different variations. I think it would have been painful, man. I mean, some people get frustrated with PlayStation and Xbox, you know, and, and oh, PlayStation 4 and PlayStation Slim, PlayStation Pro. It's like, you know what, guys, there's just too many. Can you imagine there being like seven, eight, nine of them bad boys? <laughs> Not to mention all of the ripoffs and emulators and copycats. That should have, that probably existed. Yeah, I you know I think there was no precedent, so you you really didn't know you know that there was going to be another 
like like say the next generation of consoles were were coming like like this could just kind of be the end of it and i, I want to say i owned that last wood grain model that came out in 1980 would if i was going to guess like like as i look at all those models the one that kind of stands out as as what i remember is is that one so um you know i wasn't the first to have it i i you know again things don't come super fast to east tennessee back in those days uh and you know, by the time I convinced my parents, I, I'm sure that was about right, probably around 1980 or so. And um, <laughs> yeah, I I think it's interesting. Like, like even before this research and that kind of thing, like if I were to just ask you, like, what do you think of when you hear the word Atari? Like, like what what would you say? When I think of the word Atari, I think of that scene in Terminator Two. I think it was when. Uh, what was that kid's name, man? Um, John. He, was it Sarah Connor's son? Yeah, John, John Connor. Connor yeah. yeah, remember when yeah. John Connor's like a young teen? I think it was, and uh, he's in that mall, and there's a bunch of people playing video games. Do you remember <laughs> yeah. that scene? I think that was I, in Terminator Two. It's coming to me. Yeah. Yeah, there's like a scene yeah. where like uh, the Terminator's going for him to the mall, and he's like in a video arcade. Uh, you know, and he's in there just like, there's people like, I don't know why that scene comes to my mind when I hear the word Atari. Yeah. But I have to say, yeah, yeah, no, no, go ahead. That that comes to my mind. Um, you know, eighties music comes to my mind. Synth wave comes to my mind. Neon flashing lights in a way. Gaming comes to my mind. Atari brings a lot of feelings and nostalgia into, and, and, and I didn't even really play that thing, man. I think I played it once or twice. You know, I got my hands on one of the yeah. last variations of it. Uh, and and it, by that point, I had already played Nintendo and Super Nintendo, and it just didn't do anything for me. For me, it's more no. of, a, of a thing of respect. Like, I have a, like, I, rec- I acknowledge, I recognize what the Atari means for the gaming world. So it's more of a, like, respect and props and honoring it yeah. thing for me. Yeah, if we were going to make a Mount Rushmore video consoles or video game consoles, I feel like it'd have to be up there. Kind of as one of the forefathers, you know, for us and I, for home I game consoles. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, as I understand, like a little bit of the the sociology or or, or background there with the word Atari, it comes from a, a a board game I think that they play in. That's called Go that they play in Japan, and it means on target or, or something like that uh oh. in, in japanese so Atari! Um, <laughs> yeah and actually the pillars uh, like as i understand the symbol is is kind of like like a representation of mount fuji and and the the mm. two little it's kind of like the two angled um pillars of of that there are the two people playing and the the center line is is to represent the the playing field mm. um yeah, I found that pretty interesting. And then I, you know, just when I hear the word, I, I, I almost immediately kind of see coin op machines. Like, like I see that word on the side of maybe a centipede somewhere, like, like a centipede console or, or, or a cabinet game. And I, you know, I remember like, like kind of when I first saw it showing up on t-shirts and, um, yeah, I, I think that's it. And, 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 you know, I think this just further led me to ask the question, you know, an even more in-depth question is, is why is the Atari 2600 like sort of the console that everyone remembers, especially of a certain age? So Chuck, that is an awesome question. Why is the Atari 2600 
the console that everyone remembers. Um, I mean, initial thoughts? I think we know the answer to this one. I think in one word, I would say marketing. Um, yep. You know, yeah. Which I'm not sure. I Is that all you have to say? Um, <laughs> I'm just how, how important it was. <laughs> yeah. Marketing. Yeah, marketing. Moving on. Well, <laughs> I think, I think, uh, it, it, that is definitely the answer. It's marketing, but that marketing element didn't really come into Atari's, um, environment. It seems like until they hired on this guy by the name of Ray Kassar. And I might be mistaken because Ray Kassar and, 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 um, Bushnell, is that his name? I already forgot the guy's, mm-hmm. the main guy's name, Nolan, uh, yeah. Nolan Bushnell. I think Bushnell was the one that hired him on in the first place. And it was those two that became so, uh, adversarial at the end. It was strange. I think he was the one to bring them on. And at the same time they became very adversarial and I don't think they're, I don't think they ever, uh, you know, got along well, but anyways, so they hire on, go ahead. Sorry. And this is around the time period, like say they're trying to get the 2600 out and, and they need the extra financing. So they, they make this deal where they sell out to, to Warner communications. And, yeah. Um, and they bring on this guy. Yeah. We, you know, you've got, I think, you know, we think back to the things that Warner was managing, they're managing movies and, and movie stars and, and mm-hmm. you know, I think, uh, yes. you know, television, um, so, uh, and, and, so, yeah. And it's important you mention that, Chuck, because think about that. They're managing records, music, artists, and they're also very familiar with the environment around that industry, mm-hmm. be it distribution, be it licensing. This is the important one, licensing. Um, you know, they've, they've already got a way of doing things. So then they go and buy Atari, which is a video game company, programming, etc., which is a completely different industry. So there's, there's some dynamics there that are kind of like, I don't want to say maybe they're conflicting, but they certainly don't mix. And I think that maybe Warner expected them to just completely cross over without there being any mm-hmm. issue. But yeah. And, and I think, you know, they, they went about it in a way to ensure that they made the most money. Um, yeah. And, and, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So for so answering that question, I think the answer is you know, and I'll I'll try and summarize this the best the way I understood it. But they got bought by Warner, giving them enough money to to release the twenty six hundred to release the Atari VCS. It was initially released with I think like somewhere around six or seven games. I don't remember the exact number. And those games were kind of like polls or copies or inspiration. I don't remember, but like they were basically coin op games that they had converted it over to home console style on the VCS and the, and in its initial release in 1977 I think there towards the end of 1977 the initial release did quite well you know I think they I think they released it there on Christmas and the public they had already played all these arcade games these coin op games so they they knew what they were going to be getting into so with the initial release of those seven or whatever games it did okay but the second wave of release of games didn't do as well so that's really where Kazar ramped up the marketing deal for the following Christmas release and this is also at the same time 
when Nolan and him were butting heads so much because they had disagreements in what was important for Atari to be focusing on. Mm-hmm. I think um, the brass of Warner and Kazar were like, no, we need to focus on only this VCS and the games that are there and push it, push the marketing hard, push the marketing, push the marketing. And I think Nolan's idea was, no, we need to like already forget about this VCS thing and start working on the next tech, the next mm-hmm. project. So there were pros and cons, in my opinion, to both of these uh, ways of looking at it for Atari. But answering the question of why is the Atari 26 console the, the one that everyone remembers, it's got to be that marketing, man, because, I mean, you said it yourself a minute ago. What was the slogan? <laughs> um, what is it? Uh, I, I forget which one. The, the be innovative like you were last year. <laughs> no, or no, the, uh, you said it a moment ago. It was, uh, if you can't, uh, what was it? Oh, like? oh yeah, yeah. Why, why simply watch TV when you can play TV? <laughs> yeah. That's why I think it hit hard. You know, that's why, because when they, I mean, good marketing is good marketing. So mm-hmm. in a combination of of that of that good marketing that um, Kazar was bringing in, with the release of some crucial checkpoint games. Some mild, like, because there were a lot of bad games. There were a lot of games that did not do well. In fact, Atari had a lot of problems. They made a lot of units that never got sold. They made a lot of cartridges that never got sold. I think there was a cartridge there somewhere. I think it may have been Pong, actually. I'm not, I don't remember exactly which game it was, but that, like, there were so many made that they had to, like, uh, they had to like take them and go put them in a landfill or somewhere in New Mexico <laughs> or in the Mojave or something like that. Did you hear about that? I did. I, I think ultimately, I, I want to say in the nineties, they went and dug that up and, and, you know, <laughs> and like, like exposed uncovered it. some of those. Yeah. 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 I, I read that as well as like, like, even though, you know, Pac-Man sold as many as it did, they, they had actually predicted it would sell more and had made, you know, tons of these cartridges. And as I understand it, it, it cost them, you know, maybe five, 10 bucks to make a cartridge and they were selling them for either 20 to 40 bucks. So mm-hmm. they were, they still won't, you know, were winning, but they, they lost in that uh yes you know they could have done way better if they hadn't made those unnecessary uh cartridges and mm-hmm. and i certainly think you you, you know you kind of let it up with their the, the you know bringing the coin ops home like i think the popularity of those was one reason that, that this is the one that everyone remembers but you know again you you you're mentioning the folks there with warner um you know, that we're savvy to this game of, of entertainment. Um, Absolutely. And like, this is so cool in my opinion, because I, 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 again, I didn't know any of this stuff, man. I, I wasn't even sure how many Ataris there were, you know, just like, Hey, let's do the Atari. Great. Start learning all this stuff. And part of what uh, we saw in the research here was, and, and I think this has a huge uh, amount to do with, the fact that Atari really cornered the market and got that popularity. What Nolan did, and I don't know the dynamics of this or uh, from what moment forward or whatever, but going back to the Moss chip, apparently what he did was is he created a bunch of side projects within Atari wherein, of course, they would require contracts for chips. So what he did is he's like, you know what? I don't want anyone else to get chips from these people. 
because if they get chips, they will be able to create their own uh, devices, their own consoles, their own whatnot. So he went and created a, I don't want to call them phantom projects, but just projects that weren't necessarily like the main focus, but they each had their own contracts. So those five or six, maybe seven laboratories in the world that created chips, they were tied up in these contracts, creating a de facto monopoly for Atari. So by doing that, by getting these contracts with the for the, these chips and getting basically the let's call it ninety percent of the chips where no one else could, they weren't breaking any monopoly laws, but they were certainly inhabilitating their comp, these other companies out there to become competition. Because they yeah. simply didn't have access to that technology. Only Atari did. So that was something very clever of, of Nolan like that, that he did and that, that really created a, um, what's the right word? It just created an advantage for Atari that really put them out there when, where no one else could because no one else had access to the technology to begin with, let alone, like, forget marketing. You know, there's great marketers out there. There's great distributors out there, but if you can't even get access to the, you know, to the, to the, the, what is it, meat and potatoes, <laughs> right. you're not going to be able to. So I think that had a huge factor. <clears throat> um, and one of the things that, uh, you know, when, when Nolan left in 78, I think he left towards the end of 78. Yes, he did. Or was it 79. I think he left towards the end of 78. Anyways, when he, when he left, <clears throat> the I think it was Kazar, who became the new CEO of Atari and all that, he went and canceled all of those projects. He's like, these projects don't make any sense. Why should we have them going if we're focused on the Atari 2600 and blah, 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 blah. So with literally, like the article said, with the... With the swoosh of a pen, or you know, with the with a simple passing of the pen, stroke of yeah. With this, that's it. <laughs> this is what happens when you live in Mexico. Most you you tend to forget <laughs> English a little bit. With the stroke of a pen, he created like three or four competitors instantly. One of them, which mm. was, guess who, Chuck? Activision. No, no, uh, the uh, uh, Intellivision. In television, yeah. Because remember, we covered that. In television, got that chip, the MOS chip. Uh, once they got their hands on the MOS chips, uh, the, let's go, boys! They in 1979 yeah. they released the In Television, and that was because <laughs> you know these guys went and like because of everything that happened at Atari. Man, it's fascinating. It is fascinating, and I'm almost torn. Like you know, it's like I'm glad that probably he did what he did to kind of. You know, mass market this thing and get it out there and establish the console as a profitable, you know, thing. But uh, I'm wondering if it didn't, you know, was there a developer out there that we never heard of that couldn't get their hands on the chips, you know, that you know, died on the vine, essentially, you know, that, that we might, it might have been better, you know, oh, like yeah. the best and brightest, Man. you know, yeah. Well, um, I completely see where you're coming from, and it, it is it is a fun thought experiment to go and be like, well, what if they hadn't let go of the Bushnell? Because from all the articles I've seen, it's kind of hard to see whether he quit or was fired. It looks like he was fired. He was getting phased out um, because you know his his thoughts were, we need to improve the hardware. We need to keep these chips coming our way. We need to focus on creativeness and not be so corporate. You know, and there was a lot of pros yeah. to that. 
And then we got the other side. We got the Warner Communications brass side, the the Kazar side, which he clearly did great things for Atari to make tons of money. Was it tons of money in the short run and not the long run? Uh, that's also part of the thought experiment, you know? Was it a, yeah. was it just a cash grab? Well, it kind of seems like it, but at the same time, part of this, and now we're, we're kind of deviating away now from why the Atari is the console everyone remembers, remembers but within this context of internal uh, operations, there was also a bunch of uh, developers that even after Nolan left, they would eventually decide to leave. Mm-hmm. And you were just touching on this. Do you want to... Yeah, that, you want to pull that's that when in? the Activision sort of comes comes into play, and, and as I understand it, yes, Activision, yeah, man. I had as no I understand idea. it. These folks felt like they were sort of being treated like um, simply as engineers rather than creators. And and as I understand it, as a game was developed back then, you had one lead guy um, that was the the main programmer for each game. Isn't that nuts? And and they wouldn't even like put their name on the box. Like that's how you know. As I understand it, maybe your our first Easter eggs got uh, developed. Uh, you know, I I I, I, I want to touch on that as we talk about a game later called Adventure. Um, but you know, as I understand the these folks as as creators, they felt sort of done wrong here, and they would, you know, that once they had some successes with a, a game or two, like they didn't get like a bonus for that. Like, like suddenly they'd made millions of dollars for this company and, and they still got paid the same thing. And I think when they confronted these folks about it, they told them that they pretty much were the equivalent of folks that were designing towels (laughs) or something like that. And, and, you know, I think um, that certainly rubbed folks the wrong way and, and was part of just the, you know, having to crawl before you walk of a, of a developing industry here. But we started realizing that these folks are, are you know, part creator and part engineer. It's, it's kind of a, you know, a, a, it has to be two things sort of, you know, and, and uh, yeah, as I kind of researched that, it, it sounded like they would have these brainstorming sessions and ultimately these four guys that had made really good games and didn't really get any good dough for it finally decided they'd had enough and they left and, and created Activision and, um, you know, third party development was a brand new hammer thing there. But, um, you know, if you, if you look then like then the, the, look at the games they create, it's got the guy's name on there. It'll say, you know, William Robinette, you know, created by William Robinette and, you know those kind of things. So, uh, dude, wasn't he the so guy yeah. that got really screwed? One of these guys got screwed. Like, I think he's the one of the guy that that did adventure. But, but yeah, to to kind of you know wrap that up, like like uh, as far as you know, why is it what everyone remembers? I, I think you know you had the big business kind of coming out there, and and, uh, and and sort of how the how this new commodity was being handled. Uh, you know, sort of um, created that uh, that atmosphere where you had this mass marketed home console that ultimately was incredibly successful um so that's that's why we remember it today and 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 think of those things um you know and and i, and I think like an interesting segue is like say activision was was created out of that which also you know kind of put a focus on the game like rather than the machine of sorts and uh yeah that kind of leads us i think to what you know some of the most popular games on the this uh this little 2600 where yeah uh, i mean when 
I think one of those, uh, the Fantastic Four, they called them, uh, yeah. within um, Atari there. And when they left, I think it was kind of spearheaded by David Crane. I wrote a little note here. It says, well, they went on to create Activision in 1979, October 1st it was, the first independent third-party team to develop video game cartridges for Atari. And, and I think, well, obviously they went on to do it for other consoles. Um, this had never been seen before in video game license. This had never been seen before in video game licensing dynamics were still being refined. Atari, as much as they hated to do so, went on to enter agreements with the newly formed Activision to develop games for them. It was a hard one to swallow for Atari, but the relationship brought much success with the games like uh, Pitfall, River Raid, and many others. So that's, and yeah. I, I think when um, when Activision got some of their venture funding, you know, they were trying to get funding for to to form the company because I think Crane and his boys were just like, "What do we even do?" Because again, it was a brand new like they they didn't really know that they could just be their own independent company only making video games, not making consoles and video games. Yeah. So when they were getting funding, I think, uh, I don't remember the name of the company that gave them a bunch of dinero, bunch of, bunch of money, but they actually included litigation fees within that funding because they knew that Atari was going to, well, rather, Warner Communications was going to get a little testy, a little uh, <laughs> litigious. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we don't want you making games. Yeah. Go for that yeah. almighty dollar. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it had to be a big risk, but I, th I think they, they had, you know, had some success already and, and I'm super glad that they did it. And, and as I, as we're, we're having this conversation, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm having this memory of seeing Activision like written out across my TV screen as I was playing this thing. And, and I feel like, you know, you could sense like the 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 sort of excitement that the, these guys had for these games, and the love, like the labor of love that these things were for these developers, and and it it kind of started creating that gaming community that that I think, um, yeah, yeah, it, it was a you know you saw that they put that in there for you like like like, like you know we talked I, I mentioned that the game adventure has one of the first easter eggs and that uh i thought you know, it, isn't it the first i think it's the first easter egg i saw some articles that claimed like like but the the other ones were more like say just like the guys at MIT like on their big giant mainframe you know put a little yeah something in there for each <laughs> other like you could say it kind of was the same thing but far as like widely known you know and and it to, to fulfill the role of what we consider and and you know modern Easter egg, yeah, I feel like it's definitely the first one. And I remember getting it. Uh, I, I I went back and watched it. Someone get it again, and I remember it just a tad bit different. But I do remember seeing it, um, you know, in, in there. And and yeah, I, I think um, you know, really interesting part of the part of the story, and that you know the this Activision was kind of born out of that. I know it's, it's sold out, I think at least once, you know, since then. So we're not, you know, technically the folks making call of duty aren't like yeah. these four guys or no, anything no. like that, you know, but, uh, it, um, yeah, it, it was an important moment and, and I like that they, they came back together and, 
you know, instead of just being spiteful or whatever that, you know, kind of realize there's some money to be made here. And, and that, uh, you know, typically in things like this competition is a good thing. Like, um, yeah, you know, exactly. if you want to sell more games, make a better game, bro. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's what, what this kind of says, you know, I think the real setback um, for, uh, I think the real setback for Atari was just the fact that Warner communications was so used to the music industry. You know, they, I think they were just so set in their ways and so close-minded about it that they weren't really willing to, <clears throat> and I can't blame them. I mean, you know, like if, if back then you're, you know, you're trying, you're hired to make good choices for the shareholders. It's a business. You do what you're, you do what you know and what you're familiar with. But, you know, it, it was a clear example of, um, of, of them kind of not seeing the light, kind of not mm-hmm. seeing the direction things were going and in, yeah. in the beginning it's it's hard not to be like well i get it i forget you know you can forgive that but considering that the lifespan went all the way to 1992 it seems like there must have there it seems like there was a point there where it was all lost you know like it, it was too they were too far down the the rabbit hole it seemed to like turn things around perhaps yeah. or you know or, or maybe they just never had the the folks in there to turn it around yeah because they you know as as we know and sorry for for jumping on you again there but uh and i know you're going to mention a few games here that completely changed the scene for atari there were a few years where atari was killing it so there were ups and downs absolutely and you know as far as the motivations, like, like say you, you mentioned there, you can definitely understand why they did what they did. And, and, you know, they're trying to make a square peg fit in a round hole as far as, you know, what they'd done with the music and, and entertainment industry there. And, uh, you know, I think like kind of how you mentioned earlier, like, like the, the engineers realized that the next console was probably needed to be worked on immediately, but I think they wanted the 2600 to last for years and, you know, kind of be like a record player where you yeah. just continue to buy records and, you know, keep using that same, uh, yeah. same machine. Uh, but, um, you know, as we know now, like computing technology and chip size pretty much doubles every, uh, 24 months, uh, and, yeah. and has since then. So, um, you know, if you're standing still, you're falling behind and it, it um, yeah, it, it's certainly interesting how, how the, the dollar kind of, kind of plays into that and, and what might be a short term win ultimately in the long run, it was sort of a loss and and you know as i understand it led to part of the the video game crash of 1983 um yeah a lot of their over uh over consumption there but uh but yeah why don't we talk a little bit about some some of the games uh like like you know what were the most popular games uh i think it kind of tells a lot of the same story you know as i understand it pac-man was the the most sold game. Yeah, on, which on which is funny because everywhere I've seen, man, people kind of hated that game when they ported it to the <laughs> Atari. Like the arcade version was like amazing, you know, super dope. Uh, I think we all have a good memory of what that looked like. And then when you look at the Atari version, it does look pretty bare bones. It looks like like they didn't even really try. Yeah. You know, as I understand it, they even had like National Pac-Man Day there on April third, nineteen eighty-two, to help promote it as as it was, uh, you know, being released on here, and, and it was certainly popular at the arcade. And um, yeah, 
I, I found myself asking like like why is Pac-Man so popular? Like like what do I like about this game? And you know, I've heard that the ghosts in Pac-Man were were one of the first examples of AI uh in a video game and in AI in general, I think. And and you know, I think that 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 definitely pulls you in and the, the little cutscenes I think are one of my favorite memories of, of you know, like making it through those levels to, to see what was gonna happen next in the cutscene. Um Oh, sorry. It cut up. It cut out a little bit there for me. Check. Sorry. Uh, what What was the last thing you said? Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, I was just saying that that the the cutscenes, like like in between levels in in Pac Man, were oh, one of yeah. my favorite parts of the game. Wait um, on on but, the Atari. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> at the arcade because <laughs> on the Atari. Man, I, I watched some video of the old uh, Atari one and, and it was choppy uh, you know not well it was unrefined um, uh, the, yeah, the, I, the NPCs would like flash a lot and stuff look bad yeah uh, one of the things that, that the level uh, design kind of, kind of been going on in my life lately is I, I got this thing called the Super Console X Pro which has a, a number of old systems on it and allowed me to go back and play this, this game. And, and, uh, you know, for our viewers, I did go play Pac-Man on the Atari 2600 again, and it is horrible. Yeah. I, I definitely had it as a kid. And the thing is, is like, like if you're at any point in that screen where you need to turn into one of the parts of the maze that, that isn't in a corner, like it just won't do it. Ah, it it goes by it like, and you you're just like jamming down on the joystick trying to get it to go down in there, and it will not do it. And you know, it like like some of the easiest things that you would think, like like just the the like like you don't realize, but there's a there's a siren constantly going in the back of Pac Man that's like. Like they didn't even get that in there. Like like it's just kind of like oh, like yeah, without the- that. It's actually like a, it's actually too like like there's a like a horn going of sorts like like okay. I, I don't even know that I know it it's kind of in there to for urgency I think you know to kind of make you feel like I gotta yeah. get this you know like, like kind of thing and and uh, yeah this missed on all those marks and and as I understand it it was a classic example of that the guy that made this thing he had he had like the the prototype finished and he showed it to these execs and they were like we got to get this out by christmas you're done pal like you know you're not this isn't a rough yeah. draft we're we're putting this one out and and it sold you know ultimately 8 million copies so yeah as a as a ceo they made a great decision but man they just you know, the brass it work. also yeah it we weren't believing those lies anymore on the back of that package when when you saw you know the the commercial or the package and the game was saying it was going to be just like the one at the arcade and you you remembered what you know happened how that worked out for Pac-Man I think you applied it to you know the next one it's kind of like yep yeah. yep I I can't help but think about the fact uh or that that um those details that we found in our research that the brass just weren't really given the creators and developers and programmers kind of like the, the, um, the love that they, they respect, the respect, the, the creative space, the time, it was all about the dough. And, Mm -hmm. and when I read, you know, in this, uh, awesome article that you shared, 
that um, back then, and you mentioned this already, but it was one programmer per game, man. These were works of love. Like these were projects of love and art for these guys. They weren't just like, oh, I want to make this game for this big company so they can sell it and make tons of money. No, they were like, like uh, Space Invaders, Adventure, mm-hmm. Pitfall. One person working on these things. It's one person programming this game <laughs> all the way through to finish. And then, you know, where, where today you got teams of develop, massive teams of developers, like in groups, like you guys are working on this. You guys are working on that. You guys, back then it was one dude. And he wasn't in the and engine either. Like he, he wasn't getting like, no love. He was doing all of that. All the, all the graphics, all the, every bit of the music, everything was you know, kind of being done from scratch. It wasn't like, you know, as I understand, like we were talking about that Unreal 5 engine. Like, I I mean, I almost That's think... mind-blowing. You know, a couple thousand YouTube videos, I might be able to make a game in there. <laughs> like, you know? You're like Space Invaders. Huge, 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 huge landmark game for the Atari. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was released in 78. It says here that one of the victims of Space Invaders was its own uh, programmer, Rick Moore. says, both Space Invaders and Maze Craze are widely regarded as some of the best programmed games of the VCS, which is the 2600, but they would be the only games Moore would ever create. As Space Invaders rocketed to success, it saved Atari and pretty much made the next 28 years of home video games possible. Moore himself was compensated with a mere $11,000 bonus. Dis- <laughs> disgusted by the industry, more left and never made another Atari VCS game again. That just yeah. bums me out, man. They made thousands of dollars on it. Spa- it says, when Space Invaders was released for the VCS in early 1980, oh, excuse me, I was off by two years, it became an instant hit. Eventually, the game made Atari over $100 million. And they gave our boy eleven thousand. Yeah, damn. Yeah, man. that is dirty, and I can't help but feel like they, you know, maybe they felt like, like say, you know, I, I forget what you know musical acts that Warner was representing, but let's just say they represented someone like Led Zeppelin or something like that, and you know, maybe they felt like those folks got too much, and and you know, they weren't going to let that happen in this industry, and and. You know, they weren't coming into this naive. They knew, you know, that 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 could get out of hand and these folks could hold them over a barrel, like for the sequel or something like that. And and uh, they didn't let that happen, man. They they they, uh, they, they definitely um, you know protected their own interest um, and in shot and, yeah, and shot themselves in the foot. Ultimately, um, in retrospect. Yeah, you know, I think I think it's important that we mention Space Invaders here, though, because you know, as you as you said, there it's sort of a game that took the industry from a novelty to sort of a global industry, and I, I heard it called something for the Atari that was kind of a an interesting term for me as a killer app. And when I first heard that, I thought that's like a bad thing, that's like a a bug or, or a uh, virus or something. But as a you know, kind of looking through that, I think the the term was actually used you know, maybe even in the nineties at some point, but ultimately it's, it's something, it's a product, it's a game for a console that is so good that people buy the console 
just for that, like oh, just so they oh. can play Atari. Man, you're... I mean, just so they can play uh, Space Invaders. You're, um, ladies and gentlemen, Chuck <laughs> T's so serious here. <laughs> He's like knocking out, punching his mic. Yeah, that was a killer app, man. <laughs> killer, dude. Oh, uh, so it, let me think. Killer. I'm just that. That's fascinating. I didn't know that that was the terminology for that, but I'm not surprised that a terminology was created for that. Um, for that, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for for that scenario, uh, where someone is like, I want to play that game so bad that I'm going to just get whatever I need to play it. Um, which honestly, I, an example in my own life is I buy almost every console that Nintendo makes still to this day. So I can play super Mario brothers, you know, I, I, I've, I've had plenty of fun otherwise on the Wii U and the Wii and all those things. But when I first bought them, it was so I could play the latest iteration of Super Mario. I don't know why in the back of my brain, I'm thinking that we got the, back in the day, my little brother and I, we got the Nintendo 64 just because we wanted to play GoldenEye. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, I, and you know, that might just be my... Uh, my brain like creating that because it seems familiar. But anyways, that's, that's, that's like golden. I would be a killer app in my opinion. Yeah. For the I, N64. I, 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 there was this game Sasquatch that kind of led me to this Apple arcade, uh, thing on my phone, sort of similar, like, like, you know, there are games that, that, you know, make you sign up for something, a service or, or something, you know, that's going to continually take money out of your pocket. But, you you want that to be able to do that thing and and Space Invaders was that for the Atari twenty six hundred, you know as with all we've covered about bringing the arcade home, man, that was it, and um, it was a good game. I think it, it I think it became a killer app because of the success it had as a coin op. Right, and and, and you know the the selling the. Um, the fact that you can do that at home and it's not going to cost you any more quarters once you've paid, you know, the price of admission here. And I think I can tell deal. you what the price of admission was. One second. What was the price of admission? How much were they selling that bad boy for? Okay. Let's see. Well, it's not going to give me the info. Doesn't matter. And as far as the cartridge, I, I would say around thirty-five bucks, thirty bucks. Back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I thought they'd have that information here, but they don't. Uh, yeah. Okay, so yeah, I mean, Space Invaders. I. That's another thing. Like that's, it. It almost. It almost goes right alongside Atari. Like when you ask me, what do you think of when you hear the word Atari? Like I could, I could do that thought experiment with Space Invaders too. What's the first thing you think about when you hear Space Invaders? Retro gaming, Atari, you know, like I'll just start going into that same cycle. Mm -hmm. So Space Invaders is almost as burned into my memory as the word Atari. So they mm -hmm. definitely go hand in hand. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I certainly have good memories of that, and and you know, as it just kind of, you know, we don't want to bore folks with every single game that that was popular back then, but you know, kind of the the games that made my top 
five list there were sort of Donkey Kong, Frogger, and Pitfall. And almost all of these are, are ports from the arcade, except for Pitfall. And uh, Wasn't Pitfall an Activision game? It was an Activision oh, game. Oh, man, dude. And I yeah. saw pictures of it and video. It looks dope, man. Yeah. It, it I, honestly surprised me how like good it looks considering it's an Atari game. And I went back and kind of asked myself, like, why why did I like this? Why was it so popular? And I think even before Indiana Jones existed, like you it, it kind of had that vibe, like like to me, like an Indiana Jones sort of like mystery, like we're you know, trying to get it's like the, uncharted before uncharted. Yeah, yeah. And it had a good bit of variety, like where in Donkey Kong, you, you're kind of constantly jumping these barrels and they, they sort of, you know, add a few things here with the hammer and the fireballs and whatnot. But, you know, you were you were dealing with scorpions, like like this jungle setting where you had alligators, you had holes that you could fall into. One minute you're swinging across a vine and you were side scrolling across multiple screens as well where you know other games had pretty much stayed on one screen and uh yeah um yeah that 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 was also you know kind of a big deal as far as um i think pitfall know. had like i don't want to make up a number but it had like hundreds of screens it did i think so it did and it it, it had this timer that kind of you know kept the the action intense like you had to kind of get on with things and dude activision still puts pitfall easter eggs into games today call of duty like has levels like like and things like that I, i've I, I mean i saw like six or seven different examples of of where they're they're putting pitfall stuff in games that's dope <laughs> that's dope yeah. man yeah. i, I want to play it yeah. uh i'm gonna get on that old emulator as soon as i buy that uh that device you were talking about i i kept i kept getting on the vine and i couldn't figure out how to let go of the damn thing like i was swinging over alligators with my my sack (laughs) 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 man i can't tell you too like how brutal that thing is like i would run to jump something and i would just fall in this hole and and like you do that one like twice and you're done like like you got three men i think when this thing starts and and dude i shot through those things in seconds so yeah it's um yeah man it's tough and and, and it's certainly you know got to be looked at in its context um <laughs> as far as you know how good it is compared to today's games and uh, in Frogger, Frogger's the one with the lily pads, right? You got to jump across the screen onto the lily pads and get the flies or something like that. You, you got to cross like this road, and then you got to cross this stream, and then you got this little kind of froggy area, like where your frog, like little homes where your frogs go. And I want to say once they get up there, maybe they either get speeded up or you get an extra man. And um, very basic and and it's like what the hell is this frog thinking to begin with like this looks like a like he's gonna die like, like he needs to get out of the road <laughs> yeah and like why yeah what is he doing but yeah he he um he became super popular they eventually made this commercial like where the frog was like he was like this socialite and everybody was visiting him at his house. <laughs> like, like, he was like, since Frogger came out, I've been really popular. And like, yeah, <laughs> sorry folks. I hit the mic there, but, uh, um, yeah, yeah. So, um, you well, know, again, it brought the arcade home though. 
Yeah, and you look, you didn't put these games in your in your list, but I, I want to ask about them slash mention them. But it looks like the release of Space Invaders was in 1980, and then a lot of action was going on at that point. Activision formed in 79. Space Invaders released in 1980. Those were Space Invaders, of course, as we just mentioned, was a huge deal. Asteroids was released in 1981. That was also a big one. In 1982, we got the rebranding to Atari 2600. And in that same year, Pac-Man was released, and so was E.T. Do we even <laughs> want to open that can of worms? It's It could be a whole show. Maybe it um, should be. All the Ultimately, but <laughs> largely, it, those two together are considered some of the worst video games ever made, as far as you know the the Atari versions of them. Indeed, 1983, something that you've touched on in many episodes, and I'm sure we'll touch on it a lot more. The video game crash, the North American video game crash of 1983. 1984, Atari gets sold again. But it gets sold this time to someone we've already talked about before. Jack Tramiel. Commodore. Our boy from Commodore. So he goes and buys Atari in 1984. And then, you know, there's some... From from that point on, it's just... uh, I I don't know. I didn't really investigate it too much. We get the release of the Atari 2600 Junior in 1986. Uh... Ovox is born in 1987, great year. Um, the final game from Atari, uh, Kiox, was released in 1990. Uh, and, you know, ultimately in 1992, um, the, it was discontinued. Obviously, Ovox, me being born in 1987, has nothing to do with Atari, but I just thought I'd throw that in there. Yeah, I, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> that's the way I think of those three yeah, things. Yeah, it's obviously <laughs> in the timeline. <laughs> we probably could, yeah, just you being born and and the Nintendo coming out in 1983, I think for me, was the death of my Atari. I probably kept it. I, I think the it stayed on the older TV, and then Nintendo went on the newer TV. And at some point, I think my mom pointed out, you ain't... You ain't using that thing anymore. Can I get it out of the floor? Oh, and hell, your Intellivision must have been in the bottom of a box in the garage somewhere by that point. Well, the Intellivision was before the Nintendo, and and then you you had the Commodore 64 kind of in amongst all that. But to me, you know, I I think the Atari remained where it was at when the, the Intellivision and Commodore was out, but once the Nintendo was out, like I wasn't going back. And you didn't have that feeling like, Oh man, this is going to be like worth something someday, or like I should save this because we'll be talking about retro games in 2022. Like you thought, this thing is a piece of crap. Like, I, I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and yeah. and even in the, I think for us, the regular just consumers of video games, not the technical minds behind their creation. I think for just the basic public uh, gamer pub- public. I think we, and and this includes me. I was, you know, by the by the early '90s, I was gaming. I was a little kid, but um, I think in general, we all just thought that 
gaming was always just going to be like uh, a side thing that never really became anything. It was just something that we'd eventually probably grow out as grow out of as a human as we become professionals or start working, whatever the case may be. Um, I don't think any of us really knew or could have imagined that it would become the massive like global industry that it's become today. I mean, no. even in the nineties, you know, when, with Nintendo and Sega and, um, you know, these magazines coming out and like, you know, little tiny, uh, uh, video game competitions and stuff like that. It, nobody thought it was going to become what it is today. And I think if you did, like people you thought, thought we were of crazy. As a, you were thought of as a nerd. <laughs> Like, you know, I, I no, we were thought that. of as nerds anyways, man. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. you had those Revenge of the Nerds movies mm. that were incredibly popular. And, you ain't uh, seeing no Biff playing video games, man. <laughs> no, no. And and I was torn, you know, I mean, I, I, I did play football and things like that. And honestly, I still feel just a tiny bit of that today. Like, like of, um, you know, certain folks like, like, you know, maybe say folks that I worked for, for the force service that never, you know, knew this side of me that I played games. Like I'd be a little self-conscious or shy about, you know, really going into that with them. I wouldn't not, but you know, it's, it's, it's a little like, like that, you know, I understand that perspective that my dad had about it. Like it was a, you know, a waste of time and just a fad and yeah, you, you know, hey, like, like some of those things. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Back then, especially. Yeah, uh, and you know that that's that's still you know kind of just a tad bit in, in my mind, but um, I think you're dead on. Like like there was no, um, you know, kind of as, as we were preparing for this, we were kind of talking about a little bit of uh, you know what where the gaming culture of that time, and boy, I, I just didn't feel like it existed really. You know, I think we were creating it as as we went. You know, like as I mentioned, yeah. like kind of seeing those Easter eggs and those connections with these creators and, and, uh, you know, you see the, the sort of camaraderie that, that it can kind of build, um, you know, the friendly competition with your brother or sister or, you know, your friend that sleep, you know, over for the weekend or whatever it, it uh, it yeah. worked its way into our lives and, and is still there. And I'm, I'm super happy for that. Hey, what's up with this other game you mentioned adventure? Yeah, you know, I, I as I hashed it down to my favorite games, and then I went and got on that Super Console X and played the games. Like I, I narrowed it down to Pitfall and Adventure, and I, when I went back and played Adventure, it, it was tough. Like it, it <laughs> was it character? as tough as fighting a, you know, a Giga or a Lightning Wyvern in the scar? It's a lot like fighting a wyvern. <laughs> he is a wyvern. Like, like there's three different wyverns in in adventure. There's a like a red dragon. Uh, uh, they're are three different colors, and I, I forget their names exactly. But they, uh, you got a sword, like which is pretty much like a an arrow. Like as if if you literally like if I said, hey Ryan, can you draw me a stick arrow? <laughs> Yeah, I think I saw that. I saw that because yeah. I watched a bunch of gameplay for these games. Yeah, if you take the greater than symbol and stuck a line, a, a horizontal line in it, like that's your, there's your sword, and and you were a square. Your avatar was a square. Like that's all you are is this square, 
and it picks things up and, and kind of how you hold the sword is very important. I, like, as I, I, I saw it, I picked it up straight at first and I was like, Oh shit. I remember like, you got to get it from the top and have it pointing backwards. Yeah. Like is, is the move. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause the dragon's going to be chasing you. Like you think about like, I'm going to charge this sucker, but more than likely he's faster than you. So you're going to kind of be moving around and, um, yeah, you know, it, it it laid some groundworks, like sort of as, you know, sports and, and these things like, like, like it kind of laid the groundwork for these fantasy sort of, uh, Oh, and, and, and the multi-screen. Yeah. It, it did span multiple screens and, and the dragon can actually move freely. Like, like it's not just that he's over here on the screen that was two back to your left. Like when you go back, he might be, you know, two screens up, which surprised me. I thought he was going to, you know, even from my memory, I didn't realize he did that. And, um, I think that was a huge programming innovation, uh, taking place there. Uh, don't quote me on this, uh, fellow gamers, but I think, I don't remember his name, but the programmer that was doing adventure, do I have it here? Cause I was just, I was just looking at that. Let's see. Bear with me. Here it is. Warren Robinette. Mm-hmm. Who came to leave Atari because he wasn't getting the love. <laughs> Surprising. Anyways, um, uh, yes, so I think one of the innovations here was that we had single screen games, like single artwork, you know, where they'd have like, like the tank games or miss, Missile Command or whatever, and it'd just be one screen. And then another innovation was the screen that would side scroll, like you'd mm-hmm. your character would move from left to right, and the screen would move in in uh, as you would move the character. But this type of game, and I think the first one that the fir- very first game that did this was not Adventure. I think it was the Superman game, and Adventure came out just after, which. Side note, I think the Superman game was the very first video game licensed from a movie. A little bit of that marketing mm. coming in there. See, that that's why they had to hire that guy for the marketing, man. Anyways, mm. so long story short, this was like the second game, I guess, that had this type of uh, fluidity where you could your character could move from into diff- different rooms effectively within the game. Absolutely, and, and I do think Superman... Like, like as I went back and looked at it, like I feel like it probably is a little more interesting game. Although I did love this adventure game, but as I understand it, like there's like a gray area right there. Like like when when I saw that, I was like, no, it wasn't. Adventure was, and then I went back and looked into that, and as I as I understand it, Superman was actually written onto the adventure games code that William Robinette had written and it got released first. So technically that is true that Superman was the first game, but it was written on adventures code. So yeah, but it wasn't adventures code. It was just the code that he designed. (laughs) Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Cause adventure hadn't came out yet. You're right. Um, Yeah. So, so, so yeah, it is a, it is a bit of a grayer, but it, it, you know, definitely both these games fall in that, that awesome. area. And didn't Adventure do like way better than Superman, even though it was way more bare bones? I think I, it did really I well. I would say so. I, it, it's definitely burned into my mind, dude. Like, like it, it, it was a challenge, and and it, it, it had a lot of just innovativeness to it. And and this was a game that set the imagination wild. 
dude. Cause you're, you're moving the little character, just like you said, but at the same time, going back to that super artsy, uh, like, you know, when you get the game packages and there's just brilliant eye candy art on each case that makes you think that you're about to embark on this adventure that looks just like it does on the case. You know, we had gotten used to, to, uh, recognizing that the game isn't necessarily going to look on like it does on the case, but it helps us to create a, uh, a picture in our minds using our imagination when we're actually playing the game. So when I look at the adventure case and I see this dragon and I see a maze of, uh, in a, uh, royal garden and then at the top of a hill there's a huge castle and there's a key and a lock it can it it aids me to use my imagination when actually playing the game is that kind of like what happened to you as a kid absolutely and and honestly dude that goes on today even like yeah you know there's moments that you get sucked in like i i want to term it as buy-in but um you know, I know we don't want to kill folks with with Ark information, but you saw it the other day. Like I got sucked into Ark when that <laughs> when that freaking crawdad or whatever it was just <laughs> oh, kept yeah. killing me. You screamed, like I Dude, was were... horrified. I am still horrified. <laughs> like I was standing out in front of our base the other day, and I was literally like looking over my shoulder, and and <laughs> like like. <laughs> I have like there are dinos in that game that are a million times more dangerous than that thing, but that thing was scaring the absolute crap out of me. You screamed so loud, man! It literally, I know. I almost like like it wasn't even funny. Like after a while, like (laughs) I think like you thought it was funny the first time I screamed, but like the second time you were you were like, why are you screaming like that? Dude, the second time you said you had let it away, and like I I just. I thought, man, it is so unreasonable for me to be scared right now. And then just out of nowhere, that fucker got me again. Dude, that's right. He got you three times. God almighty, dude. And I went back and looked, dude. They're not even split. Like, the closest spawn for them is, like, halfway across the map. Like, where the hell that thing came from? Like, like it was on. It was a water creature that was on land that just... (laughs) Dude, I feel like someone was controlling it. Somebody like I think, must, like no, that they like can, think, no one can do that. But dude, I mean, at the dude, worst, I'm someone pretty. dropped it there, like on accident or who knows. It was a glitch, man. Good lord! I, but yeah, the, you know, like I say, not to go too far down that road. But that scream, like uh, it came. You, my parents probably heard that scream about these dragons. Sometimes you would be going through these mazes, and you would think the dragon was like somewhere else, and he could travel across screens. So you know, just out of nowhere, there that fucker was, and and he was like, Bruh! and he would swallow you and suck you down into his stomach. And and one of the innovations, Are you of this, yeah, all this was happening in the game. His stomach was a little square, like a little <laughs> open square, and there you were. You're a square, and you fit perfectly in there. And the, I couldn't figure out how to do it on the emulator, but there's a way at that point to continue. You can either choose to be reincarnated, and everything stays like where you've moved it, or you can start the whole game over. Um, you know, so if you've gone and got the black key and got it over by the black castle and and all that already, like things, you can only carry one thing at a time. So it's kind of like, it takes a while to move things like where you want them. And so, yeah, it was one of the first examples of, of, you know, continue game of sorts. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, incredibly innovative game. I felt like it. And also like, this is not something that came from the arcade. This is a, a developed for, the console yeah. success. Yeah. 
and and yeah, I think that's you know kind of why I, I I wanted to talk about it and and just <laughs> my fun memories. But yeah, yeah, that buy-in, like, dude, it, like. I, got I, it, man. I, I still cannot get over that. Oh, that water me. creature came up behind you on Ark. Chuck T. Ah! It was one shot. Me. <laughs> it's like, it got me again. <laughs> you were like, why are you screaming? Because <laughs> like, I'm terrified. Oh, it's and, so funny. And it, like, a lot of things went into that, too. The, like, the fact that they make us, like, you can't not make it brighter when it's dark, you know? And so it was in the dark, and it, it just, God, he had my number, dude. Ah, number. but um but yeah that's fun and and that buy-in like i say you know they they they, they hit it like the, the the dragon like looks a lot like a seahorse or something like it, it's not super great graphics but man he no but you uh, can see it you can see like the the where they were going with it you know yeah i want yeah. i think if 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 i had to man there's a lot here but if i had to wrap this episode up with something that really caught my attention um, in an endearing way was the fact that back then, during these times, each one of these games was a passion project of one singular human. Just putting it all into a video game, you know? And they were they were pumping these things out, it seemed like. And I just find that uh, awesome. You know the the level of passion and and um, dedication and creativeness and um, I don't know. That's really the thing that caught me the most. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, we got a business that made some good choices, some bad choices. People left. People came in. Um, got sold here. Got sold there. Uh, but I think that out of all of it, what really uh, caught my uh, intention was that. That they weren't these massive teams working on one game. It was just one person putting it all into a game. And there were a couple of hitters. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of the, the play experience reflected that. Like, it, it kind of was a passion project, especially these games, like adventure games and fantasy games, to to figure it out. You know, you had an instruction manual, but you didn't have YouTube videos or anything like that to go look at. And, um, yeah, it, it, it required some imagination and some buy-in and some, some sort of passion of your own to, to get good at it, especially if you wanted to succeed, you know, and beat the game. Um, yep. you, you kind of had to, had to buy in there as well. Um, so... So, yeah, you know, I, I I think for me it's just it's really tied to good memories. Uh, when I think about the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, like, you know, I think of sleepovers. Like, I think of like inviting my friends over, and uh, I kind of remember in um, some of those Christmas vacation movies. There's this one scene like where they're like, "Hey, you know, you want to want to stay?" I think they're visiting or whatever, and he says, "He's like, I got I got asteroids," and and the one kid's never heard of asteroids, so he's like, "My dad had asteroids last year." <laughs> like, <laughs> he couldn't sit down at all. <laughs> like, like, no. like, oh, not that. <laughs> yeah, last but, year. yeah. <laughs> there was there was almost a popularity of sorts. Like like you know, it's kind of like. 
two friends ask you to spend the night for the weekend. And one's guy's like, you know, Hey, we're all, we're going to go to the lake <laughs> you know, yeah. the family or whatever. And the other kid's like, Hey, I got an Atari. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with that Atari. <laughs> Man, that like, <laughs> and, and it was that good at water skiing. It's a it might chubby be cool little to, kid. Yeah. It, it, it might be cool to have a short episode one of these days about that particular, um, uh, experience that uh, I'm sure it still happens today, but there was something special about, uh, back in the eighties, nineties, there was something real special about having a friend over or friends or you staying at friends, you know, the, the classic sleepover, mm-hmm. but where that sleepover entailed pizza, soda, video games. That's Amen. all. And sleeping bags. <laughs> sleeping. Staying up late. You know, it's the weekend, so you can stay up past, yeah. I think yeah. for me, it started out at nine, then it was 10. Like I had a, a bedtime, you know, and that was out the window, man. And <laughs> I mean, mom, can I stay the night at Rick's house, please? Please, 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 mom, come on. No, no, we got it. Mom, please, let me stay the night at Rick's You are doing like that? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> or, 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 yeah. Or, or, you know, can can so-and-so stay over? You know, like, ah, no, you got it. Please, 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 please. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it, I just, I, you know, again, like, I remember, like, like my one kid, my one friend, I would go, and his mom would make us cheeseburgers and tater tots. <sighs> and, and. Like, like, oh. tater, tater tots with ketchup. <laughs> yes, oh. of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just great memories, um, you know. And and part of that, like, I I think about the poor ergonomics, like how we were laying on the floor, and I think I still have a hump in my back where I've like sat with my <laughs> neck like this yeah. for so long, <laughs> like or whatever. Oh, and man. and also realize like there were limited opportunities for entertainment back then. Like what. What else were you going to do? Like, like, you know, I mean, it's like my dad's like, you got to get outside. Like, I think I had a bike. I could go ride my bike. We played an army a bunch. Um, yeah. You know, I had some, it, it, it's like everything required a, a ton of imagination and things like where this was sort of a jump starter for all of that. Um, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like we were just saying there, these, these programmers were, were, using a combination of their own imagination and passion to deliver a play it at home. I mean, imagination vehicle itself. Like here, here's this electronic thing that you can play at home and it's going to just open up the doors to your own imagination. But if there's anything, and I, I think, you know, and I, I may be going way too meta into this, but I think it's a good thought I'm going to use as my closing thought. But <clears throat> maybe, oh gosh, how do I word this? I feel like they were used, they were playing to that tune. Like we're gonna, we're gonna create a product here that's going to help the the kids or you know the the players. Open up their own imagination because if there's anything I remember as a little kid, I'm I'm having a hard time putting this into words. But let me articulate it this way from a different angle. As a little kid, I remember always using my imagination a lot, but I always remember there being a limit to that imagination. You know, once you stop putting a lot of energy in your brain into into using this into creating this world or scenario in your mind, that ultimately you know that if you 
stop using that brain power to imagine that imagine imagination thing. <laughs> it's gone, mm-hmm. right? Like there's yeah. to say it like parents will say, Oh, use your imagination. It's like, well, we were using our imaginations, but there's a limit to that. So I feel like yeah. I feel like maybe the the, the gaming I mean, not the brass, but the actual programmers were think like as they were once kids too, maybe they were in a very meta way saying, you know what? I remember being a kid and there being a limit to my imagination. So now we've got this new tech. Let's, let's tickle that itch that we as kids felt and give them this tool to not have a limit to that imagination. I don't know if that made sense. That took a, took, that was very long winded, but I think, uh, you know, these systems like the, like adventure on the, on the Atari 2600, where my imagination maybe would come short playing something like this, there were no borders. (laughs) Yeah. Like that, that missing element that I needed to fully explode my imagination was now there. And, and permission to do so. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I think like as as I was growing up as a kid, you know, I was always expected to be more mature. I had a, a sister, you know, five years older than me. And like, you know, we kind of accept that little kids are, are having these, you know, imaginary friends and things like that. But as you get older, it's kind of frowned upon. Like like when I tell people I've got an imaginary friend now, they're kind of like, Wait, what? <laughs> Don't listen to him, Steve. <laughs> like, Wait, what? You know, exactly. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, it, it kind of gives you permission to be a kid again. Like, like, cause you know, when you pick up that controller, like you've got, you got to use your imagination. Oh, dude, I, last night I was parkouring from roof to roof, chopping heads off zombies. Zoom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> zoom, zoom. <laughs> I don't know where that yeah. came from. <laughs> no, no, I feel you. I, 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 I keep thinking of this thing that's kind of like you get out of it what you put into it. And, and, and you know, I think when you put yourself into that and, and you know, kind of recognize like this vehicle that they've created for you, it it, it is the sky is the limit. And, and it is sort of permission to be a kid again and use your imagination. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I just think that's one of the... It's just one of the beautiful things about being a human being, you know, and, and relating with other folks. Like, like, you know, it's like when you have this imaginary dream, it's really sometimes when you share it, that's a huge vulnerability. People come in and are like, well, that's stupid. And like, all of a sudden it just collapses like you described, you know, <laughs> like, and, um, that's why you know, gaming is isn't a shared, for everyone, man. Yeah. This is a shared, um, you know, sort of dream. Like, like, you know, you knew why, like you didn't completely understand why I was screaming, but you had a way better ideal than most folks. Like, like oh, yeah. you know, the that, other night. Yeah. 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 Cause it's kind of like an imaginary world that we, we subscribe to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, together. And, um, yeah, that's, that's just the beauty of these things. And, uh, you know, I, I, I got nothing but good memories. I, I, I think, you know, some of the games let me down as far as the ports, you know, coming over from the arcade, but, um, I just accepted that. Like I just some of the games the... let us down today, man. Yeah. I mean, I can think of a few games right now that I spent money on that, you know, but Hey, that's part of the fun. That's part of this whole gaming adventure that we're, uh, that we're on. Um, yeah. do you got any, Final thoughts? Do you want to wrap up this episode, man, with your beloved Atari 2600? 
Yeah, just, you know, I think it's a, an important milestone out there and, and uh, you know, hope folks enjoy kind of looking back into it. And, and we, we sort of inspire folks' imagination to to go do a little research on their own, um, you know, watch a, a little bit of the history of it. And, uh, yeah, you, you, you'll be glad you did. And, and you know, for those of us that got to experience it, I hope it brought back some of those memories. Uh, I know you unlocked some memories for me there at the, the mall arcade. I had forgotten all about like, <laughs> oh, I, I man, some, my yeah, pleasure, baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, I, I got to experience yeah. that. And now, I mean, yeah. hell, I think they're going to tear them all down in my, uh, hometown back in the U S I think it's going to get torn down soon and they're going to build something else there, you know? So, yeah. uh, and hell, that's an episode right there, dude. Mall arcades. Yeah. I mean that, that right. Yeah. I mean, just in talking about the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, I think we've come up with a couple of great episode ideas, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, stay tuned, fellow gamers, non gamers, PVEers, PVPers, and even NPCs, because we will be back with another episode. And I think this is the perfect time to wrap this one up. Yeah. Nothing but love for the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Respect and honors. It will always be a forefather of the gaming world anything else chuck t that's all i got and i hope everyone uh, has a a good uh, couple weeks till our next episode comes out and we'll see you there we will we will thank you for your time chuck t i love you man and hey let's uh let's do you want to do a little war zone yeah man (sighs) i love you man all right right. thanks everyone we love you and we'll catch you in the next episode hasta pronto way (laughs) 